All right, how are we? We doing good? Good. Man, it is good to have people in the house. And if you are in your house, not in our house, it's good to have you as well. We're in the second week of this three ways to gather that we've been talking about. Gathering back in person at both of our locations, still gathering online, and then some gathering in watch parties as well. And it's just one of those things that like, whatever best fits you, that's what we want for you. Because there's still some people that can't come back together yet in person because of different obligations and other things in their life. And that's totally understandable. We just want to continue to move forward and do everything that we can to gather safely, whether that's in person, online, or in watch parties. We're also in week two of a new series of messages that we've entitled, Welcome to the wrestle, all right? And, and I know you like wrestling or not, but the idea of it is, is 2020 has been a wrestle. And I think you have to be living in a rock, you know, in a rock, I don't know if you can live in a rock, under a rock, somewhere, right, to miss that, that this has been a wrestle. And our whole contention has been, we need to welcome it. We don't need to run from the ring because God is doing something in the midst of it. And we've been looking at the story of a guy in the Old Testament named Jacob. And so we're going to do that again. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 32. It's the very first book in your Bible, all right? And then we're in chapter 32 of that. There's ultimately 10 chapters in Genesis about Jacob, but we're focusing on this chapter because in this chapter, Jacob wrestles with Jesus. He has a full-on wrestling match, and we're going to get to that, but we're not there yet. We're kind of setting up the context of the story and then in a few weeks, we'll go back and look at Jacob's life and what led him to that point, and then we'll move forward, all right? And so it's one of those things that, especially Old Testament in particular, you know, the Bible is one big story. It's called a meta narrative, one big story that it's been telling about Jesus, about the creation, fall, you know, the resurrection of Christ, and then the ultimate redemption one day. That is the story of the Bible. But there's also all these individual stories in the Bible that are connect, that story is woven through. And so we read these stories, one, to let us know about the story that's going on and about what God is doing in Jesus. But we also can come back and read into the individual stories and see what God wants to teach us from those stories because of what he taught those people in those stories. And so the Old Testament in particular is more narrative. And what I mean by that is, it's different than when I preach through the book of Romans. The book of Romans, it's not that it's not a story, but the whole thing is not necessarily about a story because Paul is talking principles. He's talking theology to where in the Old Testament, particularly like in this story, we're going to read about what happened to a person. And then from there, we're going to learn some good theology. We're going to learn how we need to react because almost always, and in fact, I would say always just about in the Old Testament, when we read these stories, it's about people's failures how they failed and how God met them in that and what God did through that. So that's why we're reading this, all right? So let's pray before we jump in and then I'm gonna kind of set it up and kind of connect it back a little bit more and then we'll get into Genesis 32. Pray with me. Father, we want to slow down for a second and, and just recognize the fact that this has been a wrestle for, for all of us in different ways. And God, we want to recognize that fact because when we can see that, we can start to welcome it. We can welcome that wrestle in our life because you are the one ultimately that is trying to do something in us as we see that you are doing in Jacob. And God, I pray as we open up your word today, as always, that you would speak to us. You would help us to see ourselves in the story 
Help us to see that we are Jacob, that we are the person that you are trying to wrestle down in us the things that need to be transformed so that we can be made into the image and likeness of Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would help us and that you would accomplish it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna be in verses 13 through 21, but before I do there, again, I wanna set this up and kind of connect it back to our conversation last week when we learned about the story of Jacob, what our ultimate goal is about. If you were here back in the beginning of the year, we talked about our theme for 2020 was integration. We wanted to be integrated people, 2020, right? It's repeated twice. We wanna be the type of people that are the same no matter where we go. And the idea of that is simply this. When we are born, as we just saw in, in uh, Psalm 51, when we are born, we are born sinful. We are born what the Bible calls flesh. And then when we trust Christ, we are born again, spiritually speaking, but now we have two natures. We have the flesh and we have the spirit. And those two natures, Romans 6 and 7 says, are at war with each other. And it's by the spirit we put to death that old man or that old woman, that part of us that we want to die. And the reason why is because there are, there's two. There's this duplicity that we've been talking about. So I'm going to give you the definition of that word there, duplicity. Again, I've got it here on the screen. The word duplicity means doubleness. It's where we live, and this is so important, disintegrated as how many people? Two people. We live disintegrated as two people. And that phrase there, disintegrated, if you put it together, it's the word disintegrate. And the idea of disintegration is when you pull things apart. If you want to know the, the goal of the devil, it is to disintegrate. That is what he is all about. He is trying to disintegrate people created in God's image. That's what I said last week. It's all about division. It's all about dividing. It's all about disunity. It's all about disintegration. But the goal of the Bible, the goal of God, is completely different than that. He wants to integrate he wants to bring together. He wants to make whole, which let me give you the, the definition of the word integrate just again, to combine one thing with another so they become whole, whole. If you want to know what the real idea of the Bible word holy, that similar word without the W on there, holy is being whole. It's, it's being complete. The Bible describes holiness as set apart. And the reason why God is holy is because he's complete. He's set apart. He's integrated. He is the, the Trinity, three in one. And Christ as well. Christ, when he became a man and dwelt among us, his divinity put on humanity, and it was two natures into one. He wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was 100-100. And this theological word for this, just in case you want to know, not that I'm trying to sound smart, but I do want you to know good theology, is called hypostatic union. Christ has two natures in one person. And so he was whole. He was fully God, and he was fully man. And the goal of God is to get us to that likeness in Christ, to transform us from duplicitous people into integrated people. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That's the point. So now let's go to Genesis chapter 32, verse 13. So he, being Jacob, stayed there that night. Where? I'll point that out in a minute. So he stayed there. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 
200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels. That kind of messes up the whole two thing that we had going on there, all right? And their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Verse 16, these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants. Now let's pause here for a second before we get into what he said so we understand what's going on contextually. All right, so the story of Jacob, and we'll get into this in the next few weeks when we look back at his child, uh, you know, his, his upbringing years as he grew up, but he ran from his family for 14 years. He goes off and he gets married. It's a whole other story to that we'll get into. Now he's on his way back because God told him to go back because I told you last week, God wants to restore. God wants to reconcile. God didn't like the fact that Jacob was disintegrated. He was separated from his family. And so God told Jacob, hey, go back to your country. Go back to your kindred. Go back. And then we said last week, God met him. And that word met means to strike. And the, and the idea was because God loved Jacob too much to let Jacob go his own way. And my whole point and the whole initiation of this wrestling idea is God will get in your way in order to change your ways. So for 2020, if you feel like God has been getting in your way a lot, maybe it's because he wants to change your ways. And this is the hard time we have with God because we make these plans and we lay them out and then it doesn't happen like that. And then we're like, God, what's up? Why didn't you do what I had planned? He's like, well, because it was never about me doing what you had planned. It was about you doing what I had planned. And what I have planned is to make you like Jesus. And in that plan, sometimes... I'm going to get in your way. Another way to say it is he's going to get all up in your business. And you're going to see that when, when Jacob wrestles with Jesus. And Jesus don't play fair, man. He's going to get in. We used to say this as a kid. I don't know if this phrase is popular anymore. Probably not. He's going to get up in your grill. Anybody remember that one? You were a child of the 90s then. Because your grill was your teeth, right? He's going to get up in your face was the idea of it. And, and so anytime I get excited, just the ghetto comes out, all right? And so God is, God is getting up into Jacob's world. He's meeting with him. But here's what I want you to see. Jacob, instead of going to meet his brother, as you're going to see later, he sends his servants ahead. He sends his, servant, his servants ahead with his stuff. Because we said last week, it was because he's trying to buy favor and he stays. Where does he stay? There, at the place that he named Mahana. We talked about that last week, the camp where God met him. And the word Mahana means two camps. Don't miss this. Two camps. So Jacob stayed in his two-ness, in his doubleness, in his duplicity, in his deception. He stayed and then sent his servants on ahead to do the confrontational work. He sent his servants and his stuff. Why? Because Jacob is deceitful. This is what's normal to him. Duplicity and deception are normal to him. And so for him to stay the night in the two camps, in the two-ness, in the duplicity, is what's comfortable. And here's why I want us all to see ourselves in Jacob all of us camp out in what's comfortable. All of us. 
And I know this is church, man, and you are not used to being honest up in church, but in this church, we want you to be honest. I mean, if you lie up in church, that's like a double sin, right? It's really not. But the idea of it is this. If you can't tell the truth here, where can you tell the truth? This is the one place where you will get grace. And I'm not ta- again, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people of God with the word of God. And so all of us camp out in what's comfortable. Now, before you start defining comfort in a worldly way, you're like, bro, I don't live that comfortable. I mean, I ain't got a yacht. That's how we define comfort, right? I mean, I don't have a lake house or a condo at the, at the beach. What do you mean comfortable? Man, I mean, I drive a 22-year-old vehicle. It ain't that comfortable. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not defining comfort as in having stuff. I'm defining comfort as to whatever is normal to you. Let me say it to you like this. You know, we all grow up in our own families of origin, and we learn how to do things. We learn how we deal with conflict, how to deal with anger, how we deal with emotions. And have you ever, maybe this happened to you when you got married. Have you ever gotten married, or maybe if you haven't gotten married, but you've been in someone else's environments, and you walk into something that they think is normal, but you realize is weird? You ever had that point in time when you're like, this is weird. And the other person's like, no, this is normal. Let me give you another idea of it. Have you ever walked into a room that smelled really bad, but the people in there couldn't recognize the smell anymore? You're like, yeah, my teenage son's room happens every week. I mean, this just happened with my teenage son not too long ago. He left his socks and his cleats from football practice into his bag, and he forgot to take them out. And by the time we took them out, his socks had, had petrified, like petrified socks, right? It was like all crusty. You could break them. And I was telling this, recounting this story with my father, and my father's like, oh, I remember. Because, see, I was pretty athletic. I was so athletic that I was blessed with athlete's feet when I was a kid. Now, if you don't know what athlete's feet is, it doesn't mean my feet were athletic. It means they stunk. There was a fungus literally on my feet. And it happens when people share locker rooms. Coronavirus, right? And so when you, when you have that environment, and, and so I would come home, and my feet would stink, man, and I would take my shoes off, and it was like this haze would settle in on the room. Yeah, I know it's gross, man, but my friends or my, my parents' friends would come. I'll never forget one time our living room. We had this old kind of pier and beam house, and the living room was at the front of the house, and I had fell asleep on the couch, and I had taken my shoes off, and my, my parents had their friends come over, and as soon as they walked into the house, it was like, wham, that smell hit them. And, and the light was off, and my dad was like, what is that smell? And he flips on the light, and there's me with my shoes off. And he's like, oh, it's Jason. But I couldn't smell it. Why? Because the funk became normal to me. This is what I'm trying to say to you when I'm talking about not just the funk, but dysfunctional. All of us have dysfunctions in our life that have just become normal to us. And normal feels comfortable, even though it's actually weird. And I'm not defining weird as good. And so what I want you to see is Jacob just does what is normal to him. He does what you and I do, which what's normal to us. So it's real easy to read stories like that and be like, why didn't he just do what God said to do? I don't know. Why don't we? Why didn't he just go face his future? Why didn't he go face his brother? Why did he try to buy off his brother's love by sending him all this stuff? Because look at what he says. Look at this. He says, pass on ahead of me. 
and put a space in between, uh, drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. Do you pick it up on this language? It's flattery, man. He said, your servant, my Lord. And then he said, they are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he, Jacob, is behind us. He is behind us. Look at verse 19 and 20. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. What is Jacob doing here? He's manipulating the situation, staying back, dividing up, getting his stuff, sending it ahead, trying to curry favor. Why? Because this is what we all do too. We try to manipulate people with stuff and words. We try to manipulate environments again, because we learned how to do this. So Jacob's just doing what was natural to him, even though natural was not to be normal. And the biggest thing, let me say it like the hardest thing for all of us is to recognize our dysfunction is not God's intentions. Our normal is actually weird in the sight of God. And see, this is why we're reading this story in the Bible. The Bible knew Jacob. And here's what I want to encourage you. The Bible knows you too. The Bible knows you because God wrote the Bible and God knows you. Now, I want you to hear me because some of y'all are weird and you got some dysfunctions where you think it ain't a good sermon unless I beat you up. Like, that was a good sermon, pastor. You got all up on my toes. Mm, that was good. Made me feel bad. Some of y'all are like that. It ain't good till you feel bad. That's just weird. I'm not saying you shouldn't have convictions, but what I'm saying is this. I'm not trying to guilt you into changing. I'm trying to grace you. I'm not trying to just make you feel bad. I'm not trying to just, you know, affirm what someone else said to you that you don't like. Maybe your spouse. This is one of those things. It's like, this is a sermon where somebody may come home and someone's like, man, this is what Pastor Jason said. And the person's like, I've been telling you that for 22 years. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to do that. But here's what I am trying to do. I'm trying to show you that with God, you can face your past. With God, you can face what's in front of you. Let me give you this point and I'll explain it some more. We can never put our problems behind us if we refuse to face what is ahead of us. We can never put our problems behind us if we refuse to face what's ahead of us. I highlighted those words in that text of ahead of us or ahead and behind for that very reason. See, God was calling Jacob into the wrestle of what was the most uncomfortable for him. But Jacob initially misses it. Why? He can't face his brother who's ahead of him because of what he did to his brother behind him. 
He is overwhelmed with shame and guilt from his past. He can't get past his past, especially men of which I am one. We're not really taught as young kids how to do this. What we're taught is boys don't cry. Men don't cry. It's interesting. I have a 10 year old daughter and she always wants to see me cry, which is weird. I know, but and my baby, I cry all the time. She's like, yeah, but I mean like really ball. I mean, I, it's not that I don't want to do that. It's not that I, I can't do that. I mean, I, I mean, I cried plenty when my mom died. I've cried plenty when, when things in my life have happened. But, but it was a skill I had to learn because I wasn't taught. And so what I'm getting at simply is this. With God, you can face what's ahead of you. You can really put your problems behind you. Why? Because he is behind us. He is behind us. See, in the phrase, Jacob instructed his servants to tell Esau, he being Jacob is behind us. But why did Jacob do that? Why didn't Jacob go? Because Jacob wasn't convinced that God was behind him. So the title of this week's message is that he is behind us. The title of last week's message was he is coming to meet you. And the he in last week's message was Esau. But I told you last week that God will show up through those people. And so the he that was really coming to meet with Jacob wasn't Esau. It was Jesus. And what I'm saying to you this week, again, in a very similar way, is he is behind us as I'm saying you can fall into your past as shameful as it may be because he is behind us. Because when you fall into Christ, failure is not fatal anymore. But so many of us, we can't get behind us or get over what's behind us because we won't face what's in front of us. We won't face it. And what I'm trying to say, maybe what 2020 is all about is God is welcoming you into that wrestle because he needs you to get past your past. He doesn't want you to camp out in dysfunction anymore. He doesn't want you to camp out in machina anymore, in two camps. But why didn't Jacob do it? Look at verse 20. For he, what's that next word there? Thought. Now, I hadn't been preaching to rooms for five months now. I'm going to need you, baby. All right? Come on. For he what? Thought. Now, if you're watching online, family gatherings, give it to me good. All right? For he what? Thought. That was his problem. He was thinking. And if that was Jacob's problem, then that's your problem and my problem too. For he thought. Look at what he thought. I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterwards, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. See, that's what it was about all the time, all along. Acceptance, approval. And again, when we dig into Jacob's past, you'll understand why. Jacob was deceiving and manipulating everything to try to get the one thing that he could never get, which was acceptance, approval. What's interesting is that word there, except me, two words in the Hebrew as well, but one of them, or the both words, it sounds really weird in Hebrew compared to this idea of acceptance in English, 
but it doesn't once you understand the point. The two words are the same word that we saw earlier, ahead. Because the idea of ahead can mean like something's in front of me, but the, the concept is it's in front of my face. So that's the first word. But then the second Hebrew word is the word for lift. So the idea of accepting me is the idea of lifting my head and seeing the full me. You want to know the greatest fear in every human heart? Is being fully known. We did this at WOCO. And being not fully loved. Let me say it to you like this. We are so afraid that if someone really knows us, they actually wouldn't love us. And so the whole concept here, if, if, again, if we were drawing this out, is there's Esau and Jacob doesn't have it within him to go face him because he would walk to him with his head down. He would walk to him like he's so ashamed. You ever been like that? Again, even dogs and animals do this. When they're in trouble, what do they do? Right? He's so ashamed, his head is down. And he says, when I meet him, I don't know if he'll lift my head up. I don't know if he'll accept me. I don't know if he wants to see my face because I'm afraid that he might meet me. That's the word meet, right? I'm afraid he might disfigure my face. And so Jacob manipulates by trying to appease by sending his servants is sending his stuff. Oh, my friends, how often do we do this? It, it, it's, we do this with dating, don't we? When you date, you don't send yourself. Who do you send? You send your representative. Now, it's still you, but it's, the, it's not the real you. It's the representative you, right? It's the best version of you. It's the you that doesn't burp, right? It's the you that, that doesn't pass gas in front of people. It's the you that uh, is not in your sweatpants and yoga pants with your belly hanging out and Cheeto stains. It ain't that you. Was oh, that not you? Maybe that's me. I don't know. But you see what I'm saying? Like we sent our rep because we're so afraid. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't... <laughs> I'm not saying you should show up on a date in your, in your yoga pants and sweatpants and white shirt with, with Cheeto stains. That's what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, why do we play the games? We, we play the games just like Jacob plays the game. Because we're trying to appease somebody because we're afraid that they won't accept us if they see our real face. Why? For we think too. See, Jacob thought. That was his whole problem. He thought. Now, let me take this back to Romans 12, the last sermon I did in the Romans recap. Romans recap 2, it's online. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, for that's your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Now, here's the clincher. There's a comma there. That by testing, you may be able to discern or approve what the will of God is. Let me make this connection for you. You and I, we don't test correctly 
until our mind's been transformed. Let me say it to you like this. Discernment is all about making decisions. Discernment is about making decisions. Decisions is about killing off bad uh, options. The Bible says, test every spirit, cling to what is good, reject what is evil. So in the testing process, if I do not have a transformed mind, I am going to test wrongly and make bad decisions. The problem with you and I is we try to make testing discernment decisions without a transformed mind. We thought, we thought, this is bad English, but it's great theology. We are taught how to thought. We're taught how to thought. We're taught how to think just didn't roll off the tongue. We're taught how to thought. This is when people are like, is it nature or is it nurture? Yes. I'm not denying genetics. All of us are, are genetically designed a certain way. And in those genetics, as we read in Psalm 51, or as you saw, is sin. From the womb, we are born sinful. And, and yes, we have a personality and all those kinds of things, but it's a broken one. But then we also learn through nurture, through our environments, how to feed into that brokenness. So it's both. I didn't have to teach my kids to sin, but they learned how to sin better because they're my kids. You with me when I say that? So what I'm getting at here is Jacob was taught how to thought. We're going to do this in a few weeks when we get back into his family environment, and you'll understand but so many times, the reason why we live in dysfunction is because we discerned incorrectly. And so the solution to creating normal and function and healthiness is not to keep trying harder. You know, the definition of dysfunction is the harder you try, the worse it gets. That's the definition of dysfunction. You got to step out of that and think, Hold on, I'm thinking about this all wrong. I have to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, then I can test correctly. See, Jacob's problem was he thought, your and my problem is we think. We think. And we were taught that way. And this is what I was getting at earlier, like when I said, if you walk into another family environment and you're like, what are y'all doing up in here? Well, that's how they're taught. They were taught how to thought. And so whatever the dysfunction is, whether it's racism, whether it's looking down on other people, whether it's learning how to manipulate, we are taught that. We are taught that. And our flesh, our sinful self grabs onto that because we learn quickly, oh, this might be wrong, but it works. You want to know why you and I make the decisions that we do? Again, I can break it down for you real simple because it worked for you. It worked for you in the short run. It worked for you. It got you through that. It got you through that. It got you through that. So you thought. And this has been my whole point for this series and this season. Maybe God doesn't want us to survive this season. Maybe he wants us to surrender. See, the problem with Jacob is the problem with us is we're so tough. We know how to get through it. I had to learn this, man. I knew how to get through stuff. 
I used to say it. My best day or my worst day after Christ was better than my best day before Christ. Because before Christ, I learned how to get through. It worked until I started walking with Jesus and he was meeting me on my way and wrestling me down. And it might've happened through a conversation with my wife. It might've happened through a a friendship with somebody else. And, And I would argue with them or fight with them. And I had to step back and realize, hold on. This person can see something, can smell something that I can't see and smell. And and God, through the Holy Spirit, had to wreck me, wrestle me down enough to help me see, Jason, that's weird. I know it has worked, but it's weird. And this is why we have to learn how to welcome the wrestle. Quit running from the ring, because it would be spiritual malpractice on God's part if he let you move forward without getting you to deal with what was behind you. See, that's what he's doing. Why? Look at verse 21. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed the night, that night, in the camp. Let me read that again. So the present passed on. Now, when I say present, if you're thinking donkeys and camels, you're missing it. Let me read it again. So the present passed on. Not the past, not the future, but the present. The present passed on ahead of him. What am I saying? Time moved on, but Jacob stayed stuck. Why is this so important? And why am I encouraging all of us to welcome this? Because you and I have wasted enough time already. We've wasted so many presents. Because we were afraid to face what was ahead of us, but because what was behind us. How many presents? This is why we call it a gift. How many moments with your spouse have you missed? How many moments with your kids have you missed? That in the moment you were so dysfunctional, but now a more healthy version of you can look back and say, I missed that. How many work environments, how many jobs did you lose? This is why we can't just put it behind us. And I was referring to his men earlier. We're so good at just pushing it down and getting through it. I don't know if that was a pirate or a cowboy. I don't know what that was. But, but we're good at it until we ain't good at it anymore. We can work it until it works us. And you can push it down. But listen, my friends, it's coming out sideways. And you'll snap at somebody or something will happen or something will key something else off. And something that was oppressed, that was pushed down, that was depressed down into you comes roaring out. And you miss the present. See, why did God show up? to wrestle Jacob because God cared more about Jacob missing the moment than Jacob did. This is what I'm trying to say to us. The present passed on, passed on. And he missed another day 
that he could have had being reconciled to his brother. But ultimately, Jacob wasn't about being reconciled to his brother. He was about appeasing his brother. And that's where we get it so wrong. So let me leave you this point and then we're done. The fruit of the new thing will be found in the healing of the old things. The fruit of the new thing will be found in the healing of the old thing. The book of Isaiah says that God is doing a new thing. Now, again, the meta narrative of scripture, that new thing that Isaiah was prophesying was Jesus. I'm doing a new thing. And if, and if you can't see right, if you can't test right, if you can't think right, you'll miss it. But in this story of Genesis 32, pre-Isaiah, this is what's called a pre-incarnate Jesus. And this is a shadow or a foreshadowing of what that new thing is. And that new thing is 2 Corinthians 5, a new you. That's the new thing. But the new thing is going to be found in the healing of the old thing. Because here's what I know. The problem with you and the problem with me is we take us with us everywhere we go. You can't outrun your problems. You can't outrun what's behind you. And what I'm saying to you is this, with Christ, you don't have to. Why? Because he's behind us. He is behind us. We can, you know, the cheesy bumper sticker says, let go and let God. But it's true. And the idea is, this is what baptism represents. He died. And he came back, and so now we can fall back. We can die. We can let go. We can be honest. We can admit, man, I'm a deceiver. I'm a deceptive person. I'm a double person. And I want to be a whole person, an integrated person, a healthy person. Well, you'll never get that by trying harder. You only get that by transformation which comes at when you start thinking differently and realize that he is behind us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And whether we're reading the best theological letter that's ever been written in Romans, or we're reading a story that reads us like a book and fleshes out the truth of the theology. That none of us are Jesus and all of us are Jacob. This is why it's so emotionally freeing when we confess. And God, there may be some people here today watching or listening that have never confessed Christ, They've never confessed their sins. They've never been able to face what was ahead of them because they hadn't let go of what was behind them, but they were so afraid. But in Christ, we can now take confidence in the fact that he is behind us. So nobody looking around or talking as usual, if that's you, if you've never trusted Christ, 
Today can be that day where God met with you on your way to change your ways. And so if you want to trust Christ, you can pray with me. And again, it's not about a prayer. It's not like this magical phrase. It just is living out what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So you can pray with me if you want to trust Christ. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent Jesus into my place to take my sin, my shame, my guilt, And so I confess I'm a sinner and I ask you to save me. I believe that Christ took that and he rose again. Make me alive. Make me new. Save me. I'm trusting in Christ alone. Again, as always, if you're in one of our locations or family gathering, if you just trusted Christ, we want to know about that. So you can just simply lift your hand up so we can see that. Thank you. We got men and women are going to walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. And then those of you online or maybe in, even in a room, in just a second, you'll have an opportunity to also text us so we can get your information. And we'll follow up with you. And then those of us who trusted Christ, but if you were honest, like I'm hoping you will be, you will see that God is opening your eyes up to some things in your life that you just thought were normal, but God says, no, that's weird. And maybe some people have been telling you that or pointing that out to you, and you've been fighting with them. And one of the true steps of repentance is after God shows you something, not only do you confess to God, God, I was wrong about that, but you confess it to others. I was wrong about that. And you just watch what God does. And this is hard. I'm not acting like it's hard. Wrestling is hard. It will wear you out. But that's the point. So quit trying to be so strong. Tap out. Own up. Don't camp out in the areas that are comfortable because that's crazy. Father, would you give us the grace and the courage to be honest, to move forward by facing what's behind us, knowing that you're behind us and that you will not only forgive us, but give us the grace to enjoy the present, to not miss the moments. So thank you for being such a good God and for being behind us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.